It is critical that we invest in our marriages because marriages are at the core of our families. And as we talked about last night, our families are at the core of our churches. So, and you say, well, what about if if I'm single? Then, I mean, there's a place for you as well. I mean, and we talked about that last night too. You're not a, a, a stepchild, but as the kingdom grows, it's going to grow through families. That's the way it grows. And then even when families act up and don't do what they're supposed to do, God has a way of grafting those in too. But he does that through strong family because the church itself is a body. It is God's family. Amen. So I, I thank God for how you um, invest in that. But, but like I, I, back to the story, I, I was, um, and I'm going to try to do the same thing I, I, I told Brother Curtis, I believe it was last night, when he was talking about how, thank, how, how excited he was for the word. And I'll tell you the same thing. Here's what, I can, here's what I'll tell you I'm going to try to do. I can promise you I'm going to try to do two things. I don't know if I'm going to do it or not, but I'm going to try. Um, when, I, when we come forward with the word, I'm going to try not to dress it up, and I'm going to try not to mess it up. I don't know if I'm going to get that done because a lot of times we get in the way. But I want you to know that's what I'll be trying to do. So if you're out there, you can pray with me that I'm not dressing it up and I'm not messing it up. Somebody say amen. But I tell you, I, I want to go ahead on and get started because, but I'm excited. I'm just excited. I'm excited to be here. Amen. With my family, like I said, my wife, my kids, my mom, my nieces, my nephews, my cousins, and all of you, my eternal brothers and sisters, I'm excited to be here. Um, But most of all, I'm excited because God saved me. Amen. And I tried and never, ever lose sight of the fact that God saved me. So with that, without further ado, let's get into our text today. And, and, and we want to start, I, I would that you start uh, by taking a look at Psalm uh, 106 and uh, verse 13 and 14. Let's do that. Psalm 106, verse 13 and 14. And let's see what, what, um, what the psalmist writes. Here's what, he, here's what he writes. Let me get to it. Psalm 106, verses 13 and 14. We'll start there. Here's what he says. But they soon forgot (laughs) what he had done, and they did not wait for his counsel. Verse 14 says, in the desert they gave in to their craving. In the wasteland, they put God to the test. Let's keep going. In verse 20, in that same chapter, it says, They exchanged their glory for an image of a bull, which eats grass. Verse 21. And they forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt. And then let's complete this part. Let's go to verse 24. He writes this. And they despised the pleasant land. They didn't believe his promise. And verse 25, and they grumbled in their tents, and they did not obey the Lord. While you're thinking on those things, let's go to Paul's last letter, the letter in 2 Timothy, um, chapter 3, I mean chapter 2. 
And look at verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. Here's what Paul writes. He says, remember Jesus Christ. Raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Look at verse 11. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. Keep reminding them of these things and warn them before God against quarreling about words which is of no value and only ruins those who listen. And listen to what verse 15 says. And you all know this scripture, but you don't, I think you forget what leads up to this. He says, therefore, do your best to present yourself to God as one who is approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. And along those two passages of scripture, the psalmist from 106 tells us that they forgot. Paul tells us to Remember, so this morning, we're going to let those two scriptures usher us through the word. And we're just going to let those scriptures, while we're thinking along those lines, we're just going to walk through the word and we're going to ask you today for your subject, don't forget to remember. I I think it would be wise if we would take this to heart this morning as we start up. brand new year. Don't forget to remember. And I gave you some scriptures about what they forgot and how they got tangled up out there in that desert. But then you hear Paul telling in the last letter that we have recorded that he wrote, he's writing to Timothy to remind Timothy to remind others. And he's telling them to do what? Remember Jesus Christ. So if you go back and you look at the psalm and you come forward and you look at Paul's last recorded letter, it seems like as humans, we are prone to wander. It seems like we are distracted easily. It seems like what I'm trying to say, I'm trying to say we easily forget. And therefore, we have to be reminded to remember. And that's what I want to do this morning. I just want to remind us this morning while I'm here. I just want to remind us to remember. And you say, remember what? Man, I'm glad you asked that. I was just waiting on you to ask that. To remember what? Well, the first thing I want you to remember is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That is key. That is key. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Sometimes we get all discombobulated and we get caught up in craziness and we forget what this is all about. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is 
all about Jesus. It always has been and it always will be. And I want to serve notice to you this morning that Jesus came to save sinners. Look at Luke chapter 19 and verse 9. And let's get into this text a little bit. Listen to what it says. He says, Jesus said to them, this is Jesus talking. Today's salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And look what he says in verse 10. For the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. Now, if you really know the, uh, the, the, the scripture, you would know that there was no reason in the world for the Jews, the people that of Jesus' lineage, for them to be lost. Other than the fact that they were human beings, and as human beings, we are deathly sinners. We, does everybody realize that, we're, that you're a sinner? Amen? Well, I don't think so. I think sometimes we forget. That's the reason we're talking about this. And, but, but I want you to understand that Jesus came to save the lost. And if you forget that, then you forget what this is all about. Look at John 3 and 17. I want you to see it. Look at John 3, 17. And read what the apostle John wrote. This is what he said. He's talking about um, Jesus' father. He's saying, but God didn't send his son into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God sent his son to save sinners. Somebody say that. Somebody say, Jesus came to save sinners. Okay, the reason I have you repeat that is because they've done studies. And like even when someone gives like a 45-minute to an hour speech or sermon or whatever it is, they've done studies. And you know what the studies show? 85 to 90 percent of what I say here, you will have forgotten by the time you get to your car. That's crazy when you think about it. That's the reason it's so important for you to read the word for yourself. That's why it's so important for if God speaks to you with something that we're saying here, take a note, jot it down, jot down those scriptures. They're not going to change between now and the time you get home. Go down and look at it and meditate on it and chew on it because I can tell you right now that most of what I'm saying, you're going to forget it. That was the problem with the Israelites in the desert. <laughs> they forgot it. Didn't you hear what the psalmist wrote? He said, even while they were in their tents, they were complaining in their tents. Free. They used to be slaves for 400 years, and now God has saved them, and now they're in their tents on their way to a land that God promised them that they didn't build, they didn't win, they didn't, they didn't come up with it, and while they're doing it, they're grumbling and complaining. That sound like anybody you know. It's because they quickly forget. And that's the reason why I want to talk to you about number two. The second thing I want you to remember is this. You were one of those sinners who needed saving. You couldn't save yourself. Well, I didn't make it up. I want you to read along with me. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 5 
and verse 1. Let's read it together. It says, therefore, I'll read it, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in this hope of the glory of God. Look at what it says in verse 3, though. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that the suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Man, I'm so thankful for his Holy Spirit. Because you know why? We would forget. Look around. You don't see Jesus physically in this room. And no one has physically seen him for 2,000 years. Don't you know that you would forget all about Jesus? We forget about him now. That's why I'm so grateful for his Holy Ghost who lives in us. Of all the places in the universe he could have picked to reside, he chose to reside in broken down, distracted, sinful vessels like us. But that was his choice. But he gave us his Holy Spirit and he gave us his Holy Spirit to remind us of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. You used to be one of those people that he came. You are one of those people. Look at what he says in verse 6. Paul gets personal. He says, because you see, at just the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. How many of you know you were ungodly? You know what ungodly means? It just means without God. And before Jesus Christ came into our lives, we were the definition of without God. But the scripture says at just the right time, he said he didn't wait on us to fix ourselves. He said we were still powerless, but Christ died for the ungodly. And look at what he says in verse 7. Because very rarely will anybody die for a righteous man, though for a good man somebody might possibly die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. You wonder why I'm so excited? It's because God didn't wait for me to get right. He came down here and made it right. If you can't get excited about that, I don't know what you can get excited about. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Somebody say that again. Saved from his wrath. That's going to be important before we finish. We've been saved from his wrath. But listen to me. See, it sounds... It don't sound good because you guys, most of y'all been in church for a long time, so you don't like being called a sinner. Sometimes we don't even like being reminded that we were sinners. But even that, calling us a sinner, it's still a little more soft and political to say than what you really were. Look at how Paul says it. 
Paul says it in verse 10. Listen to what he says. He says, for if when we were God's enemies. Oh, guys, I didn't make this up. Don't look at me like that, Brother Richard. I didn't make this up. This thing said that while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Who in the world would reconcile their enemies by giving up their own son? Nobody but God would do it. Nobody but God could do it. So if we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Mm. (laughs) And Paul says, and not only this, in verse 11, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. (laughs) He didn't just save us. He reconciled us to himself. He didn't just keep us from going to hell. He brought us with him into eternity. Mm. And made us co-heirs with his son, Jesus Christ. Mm. Wow. But sometimes it's easy to forget. And, you know, I'm grateful for the example of the Apostle Paul. We talk about this all the time back at our church in Marietta. I just want to take you real quick. It won't only take me a a minute, but I want to just take you through Paul's evolution because we talk about how we don't like to be called what we are. But give me verse, uh, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9. I want you to see something. Paul wrote this in A.D. 59. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. Wrote it in A.D. 59. Here's what he wrote. He said, this is Apostle Paul right? For I am the least of the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He's saying, I'm the least of the apostles. That's the way he thought of himself. He's the least of the apostles, yet God used him to write half of the New Testament. 13 books out of 27. And he considers himself the least of the apostles. Well, that's what he said in A.D. 59. (laughs) But it gets worse than that. Look at what he said in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. This is four years later. He wrote Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians in A.D. 63. So four years later, he said this. He said, although I am less than all of God's people. That's what he said. In, in, in my version, say I'm less than all the saints. So think about what he just said. In AD 59, he said, I'm the least of the apostles. In AD 63, four years later, he said, I'm the least of the believers. It seemed like he's going backwards. But he don't stop there. <laughs> 
Look at one of the last letters he wrote, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. He wrote this a year later in AD 64. He said, and at first Timothy, he says, I am the, here's a trustworthy saying, and it deserves all acceptance. He said, this is, he, he, you know, this is the way for him to say, here's the truth. He's, here's another way he said, let me tell you this. Here's another way he said, listen to me. That's what he said. Jesus would have said something like, verily, verily, I say unto you. Paul wouldn't go there. He said, here's a trustworthy saying that I can tell you is true. It deserves all acceptance. He said the same thing I said. He said, Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which I'm the worst. So, in the period of five years, AD 59 to AD 64, he went from being the least of the apostles to the least of the church folk to the worst of sinners. I ain't making up. You can read this for yourself. And you say, well, Pastor, it seems like he's going backwards. No. You know what's happening? He's coming forward because the closer you get to Jesus Christ, the more sinful you realize that you are. And some of us need to understand that. We think that because we've been in church a long time that that sin has kind of robbed off and we're, we're so thankful that we're not who we used to be but we forget how nasty and dirty and grungy and grimy we are right now. We don't deserve what we have. But God, Paul understood that. He's saying he's worse than any sinner because he's trying to make the case that he does not deserve what God has done. Wow, this is how he's trying to explain how you remember Jesus Christ. He could tell us this because when he was writing 2 Timothy, he was in a Roman jail. He was chained up. He was bound. And this is what he needed to remember, that he was one of those sinners who needed saving. And the reason that he was in, that, in those chains was because other people also needed to be saved. And that's what you guys need to realize. That's what we all need to remember, is that even though God saved us, we were one of those sinners. Other people need to be saved, and God saves folks through his church. If you forget what God has done for you, you will have no sense of urgency allowing God to use you to reach others. I didn't make this up. I'm just walking through the scripture. So you now, you know, you remember that he came to save sinners. You remember that you were one of those sinners who needed saving. What's something else you need to remember? Number three. You need to remember what it cost him to purchase your salvation. Oh, it's a free gift to us now, but it didn't come cheap. Somebody had to pay. And it couldn't be you and me because I already explained that we're sinners. But according to God's word, the wages of sin is death. He gave that to Adam. So we couldn't save ourselves. So we need 
a sinless man to come save us. <laughs> and that's why we take a look at Philippians chapter 2 to remember what it cost. Because where is that sinful, where is that sinless man coming from? Well, let's read what Paul writes to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, here's what he says. He's talking about Christ. He's telling them the attitude that they need to have. Even then, to that church in Macedonia, in Philippi, he's reminding them that they need to have the same mindset that Jesus had. Same thing we're talking about. Go to verse 5. Go back just a little bit. Because he's telling them that our attitude, our mindset, needs to be the same that was in Christ Jesus. Well, what was that mindset? Here's where verse 6 is. Here's the mindset that Jesus had. Who being in very nature God. This is Paul trying his best to figure out how to write this so he's letting the Holy Spirit write. And the Holy Spirit is saying, Jesus, his very nature is God. He wasn't like God. He wasn't a little God. He wasn't future God. He is God. That was his nature. But you know what he did? He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. You know what that means? That means he gave up his rights as God. He was God, but he gave his rights as God up. Why in the world would he do that? Look, at, let's keep reading. We'll find out. The scripture says he made himself what it says he made himself nothing and he went from being the God of the universe that the scripture says he took the very nature of a servant the old King James used to call him he took the nature of a slave a bond servant and he made himself in human likeness think about what we just said he was God is God Yet he gave up his rights as God. The scripture said his nature was God. But he had to take on the nature of a servant. He had to, pastor, he had to make himself a man because he was already God. His nature was God. <laughs> so he had to make himself a man. And a man compared to God, here's what Paul had figured out. A man compared to God is what he said. When you compare a man to God, Paul says, you're nothing. He made himself nothing. Oh, we think too highly of ourselves. We often think too highly of ourselves. Paul got that, not because he was so smart, but because he was God's chosen vessel. And God revealed it to him. And so as God kept giving him deeper revelation, that's why he kept realizing how sinful he really was. Scripture say, made himself nothing, took on the nature of a servant, made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, here's what he did. He humbled himself and became obedient. We talked about last night when God put man on the, the planet. He put him there with a purpose and he gave him commands to follow. He expected obedience. 
And that's what Jesus Christ modeled because he humbled himself and became a man. And then he became obedient, even if that obedience led him to death. Even death on a cross, which we we always nowadays, we, you know, we wear crosses all, you know, we have tattoos for crosses. We we wear necklaces with crosses we wear rings with crosses we put crosses on on bumper stickers on our cars crosses all over the place but we rarely think about what that cross really represents that cross wasn't pretty that jesus died on it was a tree that was wood that was bonded together they didn't try to make it nice because Crucifixion was the most brutal form of capital punishment that the Romans had. The Jews didn't even have it. This was a Roman punishment. This is what they did to deter their opponents. And how many of you know the Romans were at that time the most powerful region in the world. So they knew how to do this. So when we talk about that cross, Jesus, that was not an easy death. Do y'all know how he died on the cross? I mean, you know about, we sing songs about how they nailed his hands and then they nailed his feet and all that. But you know what actually happens when you do that? Over time, the weight of your body just keeps dragging you down. But the only thing you got to hold yourself up is the nail that's in your legs and in your hands. So your leg, you keep trying to push yourself up so that you can breathe. And over time, your body wears out and it can no longer push you up. I'm not even talking about the pain in your hands and in your legs. And I'm just talking about over time, they, and sometimes it would take days for the criminals to die. They just be hanging, and they put them on a hill. They didn't do it off on, in the corner. They put them on a hill where everybody could see it. And while Jesus was hanging on that cross, the Jews who were instigating, they were behind it. Pilate wanted to get out of it, but they wouldn't let him out of it. And while the Jews came by, they hurled, you know, um, um, humiliations at him. They scorned him. And even when Pilate tried to quote the Jews' scripture, he said, he wrote on there, the king of the Jews. Some of the Jews walked by and said, don't write the king of the Jews. Write, he said he was the king of the Jews. And with all that humiliation and the scorn and the shame that was going on, over time when his body gives out, you know how he died? He suffocates. Because his body could no longer push him up so that his lungs could push air in and out. That was the death. I often wonder why did it have to be so grisly? Why did it have to be so brutal? Seems like God could have picked any 
death that he wanted. That's the death that he picked for his own son. That's what he's talking about when he said he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because verse 9 starts to give us a hint into why God allowed him to die like that. Because when he died like that, that's as low as you can possibly go. You remember the story. Even they hung him up there with two criminals. That's as low as you could possibly go. And God wanted to take him from the depths because that's where all of our sin is. Look where Paul say he elevated him to. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, verse 10, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There's going to come a time when not only the angels and the people of God are going to honor him. There's going to come a time when Satan is going to have to get on his knees. And give him the praise that he deserved. That same praise he would not give him before God ever created man. God will get his praise. Oh, we got to make certain we don't forget. That's what the scripture says in verse 11. That every tongue is going to confess. That Jesus is Lord, Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what it says. And I want you to understand this. Verse 12. Therefore, because all of that is what's going on, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, Paul's talking to the Philippian church, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Listen to what Paul is saying. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's reminding them, don't become complacent. He's reminding them what's at the crux of this. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And look at verse 14. That stuff that was going on in the desert with the Israelites, don't let that happen in Benton. Don't let that happen in Bossier. Don't let that happen in Shreveport. Don't let that happen in Marietta. Don't let that happen in Mississippi. Don't let that happen. That's what he said. So do everything without complaining and arguing or grumbling and complaining. That very stuff that the old generation did, don't do it. Why? Verse 15. And then we got to move on. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in this crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like the stars of the universe. How many of you know that we in a crooked and perverse generation? And I'm not just talking about what's going on in the world. You heard me talk about this so much. So this is why we got to stay focused on the word. We were so focused, Pastor, on trying to stop 
these homosexual folks from going down to the courthouse and getting married and all that stuff. We were so focused on that. You see what's going on now? United Methodists. It's coming up in the church. That's what needs to be our focus. The world is going to be the world. But we better stand firm with the church. It doesn't matter whether somebody go get a a marriage license from the state of Louisiana. What's that got to do? But what I'm telling you is when it comes to the body of Christ, we need to stand firm. We need to stay focused on what God has us here to stay focused on so that we can shine like stars in the universe. Is somebody with me today? All right. All right. You said, you now you're going to remember that Jesus came to save sinners. You were one of those sinners who needed saving. We now know what it cost him for your salvation. But now we got to go on the tail end of this because number four. Now, if you remember all that, you need to remember to tell somebody how he saved you. We, we, folks, we got to get up out of this. We got to get up out of these walls. And we got to take this show on the road. Listen to what, I mean, I'm just, uh, again, we're just walking. We're just letting the word usher us through the word. Look at what uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And look what he says in verse 11. Let's, let's go take a look at it because here's what he said. Since then, <laughs> we know what it is to fear the Lord. Listen to what Paul writes. Since we know, he just told us to live in fear and trembling, working out our salvation. Since we know what that is, listen to what he said. Then we need to try to persuade men. Somebody say, well, it's not my job to try to say, well, listen to what he's talking about. We need to not only tell people the truth, but we need to live the truth. That's how you persuade people. We learned long ago that, that it's not about what I say, but it's about what I do. We learned that, and if we know it, people know it. If you're going to persuade anybody, it's going to come through your lifestyle. Listen to what Paul writes. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. Well, look what he says in verse 12. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you the opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 13, he says this. If we're out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. Oh, yeah, people, even your own family. They may ask you, well, why are you doing this? Or why are you doing that? And they always get stuff going on down at the church. Do you have to be there every time the door opens? Do you have? I know pastor asked you for 500 for this or 200 for that. Do you have to do that? Do you have to do that? Scripture says to them, it may seem like you're out of your mind. And Paul say, if it's, our, if, if, it's a, if it's in our right mind, it's for you. You know what he's saying? He's saying the reason you do those things here is because you are focusing with your pastor on what it takes to get outside of these walls. So you know it takes resources. It takes people. And let me tell you something else. It don't just take money. You know what else it takes? It takes people who are absorbing and practicing the teaching that's coming forward so they can grow. Because you got to grow. Because as people come in, Pastor Adams 
isn't the only one who's supposed to be doing the discipleship process. As you grow, you're supposed to be discipling others. But you got to grow. You got to take this teaching. You got to practice it. And then you got to share it with somebody else. But when you share it, you got to have some mastery of the subject matter. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying you got you to know what you're talking about. You can't just go here and start quoting some scripture. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because how many of you know that knowing the word of God is not the same thing as knowing the God of the word? Is anybody with me today? Just knowing the word and being able to regurgitate it is not the same thing as knowing the God who wrote the word and who is that word. That takes not only studying, reading, studying, but also practicing. Hmm. Look at what Paul writes. Look at verse 14. Because I want you, we, we, we got to get there. He say, this is what he says. Christ's love compels us. That's what I'm trying to say. If you are not Moving forward in your Christian relationship with Christ, if you're not growing, if you're not teaching where you used to be taught, if you're not pursuing where you used to have to be pursued, then let me tell you what's happening. You not only have forgotten what God has done, but you are fighting him because his word is compelling you. And if you're not going with him, you are resisting him. If you're saved... His word is, that's what he said. His word is compelling them. Paul was not from Corinth. He was from Tarsus. Paul was not from Ephesus. He was not from Macedonia. But God's word compelled him. And that's the thing that we're talking about. Remember, what are we talking about? We're talking about you got to tell somebody what God has done for you. And that's what Paul is talking about. He had to go tell somebody. Because why? Because he is convinced that one died for all. And therefore, all have died. And look at verse 15. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised again. We don't live for ourselves, folks. We got to tell somebody what God has done and is doing. Y'all know these scriptures. Y'all know verse 16. Let's go ahead and hit it. Let's get to verse 17 like we done. Look what he said in verse 16. For now, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. He say, no, we're going after the world. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they've done. Because look what he said. Because therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. And the old is gone and the new is come. The old's passed away and the new is here. If you are in Christ, you're a new creature. You're not the old person. And the new has come. And what, look what happens when the new comes. Because he's got a role for you. We said last night, he didn't just save you just to be saved. Look at what he says in verse 18. All of this is from God who did what? Reconciled us to himself. 
through Christ. And then what did he do? When he reconciled us to Christ, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Each one of us as believers, we are ministers. I don't worry about uh, all these, you know, arguments, whether a woman should be a preacher or just a man or even a child. We, if you know Jesus Christ, by definition, you are a minister. I'm not, I'm not talking about pastoring. I'm not talking about other roles. I'm talking about what God has called you to do. He's called you to be a minister. That means you represent someone else and you are a minister of reconciliation. That means the same way God saved you and brought you to himself, he's using you to do that to somebody else. Look what he says in verse 19. We got to hurry. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sin against them. This is what we've been talking about. God has chosen not to count our sins against us because of Jesus. And he has committed to us. Paul says it again. See, he knows, he understands the value of repetition. He said it again. He's given us the message of reconciliation. Let me explain something to you. There is no hope for the world. It will perish. There is no hope for the people in the world apart from the church. So don't spend too much time talking about how bad the people are in the world. You are right. Yes, you are right. They're sinners. And so were you. And so was I. And so am I. But God has called me to reconcile them. He wants to use me to reconcile them to himself. Look what he says in verse 20. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. I didn't make this up. This is how Paul sees it. We're his ambassadors. We represent him. How do we represent him? It's as though God were making his appeal through us. And here's Paul again trying to persuade them. We implore you. That's just the word that Paul chose to use. That that was the interpretation. It just means we beg you. Paul ain't too proud to beg. He said we beg you on Christ's behalf. Why do we beg you? What do we beg you? To be reconciled to God. Wow. We beg you to be reconciled to God. Because God made him who had no sin, hey, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. The only way that God can use me to do anything is because of the righteousness that is imputed to me based on what Jesus Christ has already done. It has nothing to do with me. (laughs) It has nothing to do with me. All he wants is a willing participant. You know what I'm saying? He just wants me to not fight him. So yeah, we want you to not forget to tell somebody about how he saved you. But the last thing we need you to make certain that you don't forget is what Second Peter reminded us. Number five, Jesus is coming back soon. Oh, yeah, see, I, I, we, we, I'm grateful that we get to do this first Sunday in 2020. But I have no idea if any of us will see the last Sunday in 2020. 
And Peter understood exactly what Paul understood. He understood how easily we forget and how easily distracted we are. Let's let him walk through this last one. Here's what he says. This is Peter writing, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. He said, dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. Again, you see these apostles just begging folk to do what is right. Look what he says. Look what he says. I want you to see it. I want you to see this is not just me. He said, I have written both of them as what? Oh, remind us. He's trying to get them to remember something. He say, I'm writing both of them as reminders to stimulate your wholesome thinking. Listen to what he goes on to say in verse 2. I want you to do what? Recall. What's he saying? I want you to remember the words that were spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commands that were given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. But above all, you must understand that in the last days, <laughs> scoffing, scoffers will come. And scoffing will follow their own evil desires. Folks, let me be clear. If we talk about understanding the context. Peter is not talking about what's going to be going on in the world. He's talking about how the scripture is going to get watered down in the church. People are going to be claiming that they are Christians, that they know God, that they're believers, when they know nothing of him. Scripture is going to say that if you do these things, that you will not inherit the kingdom of God, and they're going to tell you the same thing that that serpent told Adam and Eve in the garden in chapter 3 of Genesis. God did not surely say. Folks, that's what's happening in our churches. And we've been warned of this, but we forget. But here's the, here's the reason we forget. Because in verse 4, Peter writes that they're going to say, well, where is this coming? Where's this coming, he promised us? Ever since our fathers died, everything has been going on since the beginning of time. He ain't coming. Look what he says in verse 5. But they deliberately forget. <laughs> Here we go again. Remembering versus forgetting. They deliberately forget that long ago... <laughs> By God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed by water, out of water, and by water. They forget these things. And by water also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. What else? He says in verse 7, he says, and by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. But it's being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of who? That's what the scripture says. Peter says it's coming. These heavens and these earth, this here, they're going to be destroyed. And on the earth, all ungodly men will be destroyed. He said it's coming. 
But here we go again. Look at verse 8. You see what Peter said? But! Oh, yeah. Listen, I tell you, we're just walking through the scripture. And God is just trying to get us to remember and not forget. How many of you know sometimes we forget the things we ought to remember and we remember the things we ought to forget? People have done things to us 25 years ago, and that's the stuff we remember. But what God did for us this morning, how quickly we forget. But listen to what he said. He said, Peter reminds us, but don't forget this one thing, dear friends. (laughs) With the Lord, (laughs) a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. You see what Peter's saying? He's saying God don't count time the way we count time. He said in verse 9, he's not slow (laughs) concerning his promise. He said not the way you understand slowness. He said, but here is the thing, Sister Sherry. He says he is patient with you. Oh, I'm thankful that God was patient with me. I'm thankful that he didn't come when he could have come. I'm thankful that he waited for me to not only knock on that door, but to go back and get some more oil because my lamp was empty. But he's not slow the way you may count slowness, but he's patient with you, not wanting anybody to perish. But he wants everyone to come to repentance. Listen, people, God has no desire to see anyone goes to hell. The scripture tells us in Matthew 25 that he did not create hell for us as humans. He created hell for Satan and his demons. If you go to hell, it's because you chose to go to hell. God didn't send you to hell. He doesn't, this is what he said, he doesn't want you to, to, to go to hell. He's waiting for all to come to repentance. But how in the world are they going to know anything about repentance if we don't tell them? Somebody told you. Somebody was patient with you. Somebody spent time with you while you were acting a fool. Look what he says in verse 10 because we got to stop. Listen to what he said because I want you to know this. I need you to know it. You got you to gotta know this as you leave. He said the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You know what that means? That means that many are not going to be prepared. A thief don't come when you're there at home and you're waiting. You know what? You're just sitting there looking at the door. He comes when he's looking around and he makes certain that the last person leaves. How many of you know Satan is a thief? He's a coward. He's a liar. But he said, but The Lord is going to come like a thief. And the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything laid in it will be, and everything in it will be laid bare. This place is going to be destroyed. So don't get too attached to your stuff. Because your stuff, if you can see it, touch it, feel it, smell it, hear it, it's gone. The only thing that's going to persist is the word of God and the souls that are attached to the word of God. That's it. Look at verse 11, because we got to wrap it up. Come on, because listen to what he said. 
Peter writes, since everything will be destroyed in that way. Y'all see this? Since we know that everything's going to be destroyed in that way. Y'all see this? Since we know this is going to happen, what kind of people ought you to be? Y'all see this? Since we know it's coming, how should we be living? Look what he said. He tells us, he answers his own question. We ought to live holy and godly lives. That's what he says. Mm. Let's go into verse 12 because we got we to get there. Because as you look, we ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and you speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. In verse 13. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven <laughs> and a new earth. Is somebody with me? Because we know that's happening, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Verse 14, go ahead. So, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, hey, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Listen to this. And bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul always wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Listen to what he's saying. Jesus is coming soon. So I'm here to remind you. Don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember what? That Jesus came to save sinners. Don't forget to remember that you were one of those sinners that needed saving. Don't forget to remember what it cost him to purchase your salvation. And don't forget to tell somebody how he saved you. And please, 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 please don't forget that Jesus is coming soon. I didn't make any of this stuff up. And I have no idea if I'll ever get a chance to speak with you again. But if I don't, I want my legacy to be. When you remember me, I want you to remember a guy that was always talking about what Jesus has done, is doing, and is about to do in his life. That's what I want my legacy to be. I want to spend 2020 talking to people about this Jesus. I don't want to forget to remember how good God has been to me. Amen.